Thank you for listening in to this week's sermon from Restoration Church Bryan. To learn more about Restoration, you can find us online at restorationbryan.com. We are so grateful for all those who are able to listen online, and we pray the message encourages you and challenges you as you draw closer to Jesus. If you are not already connected to a local church, we would love to invite you to join us for worship. If you are listening from another city, we pray that this message is a great supplement to your walk with Christ, and our hope is that you would have a gospel-centered local church that you call home. Thanks again for listening. Amen. So if you got your Bibles, hopefully you're there. Uh, Acts chapter 8, 26 through, through 40. And, and, and we're going we're gonna to go there in just a moment. As, as many uh, of you know, uh, part, part of my college resume, uh, at least for one summer, was selling books door to door. I was, I was that guy. So, so uh, selling books door to door. Listen, it, it, some, days, uh, some days were absolutely fantastic. Uh, the breeze blowing, it, it, it like 65 degrees in July in the mountains of Northwest North Carolina. Uh, some days were awesome. People were were buying those Southwestern publishing books. They were they were telling their their neighbors and friends, uh, and it was incredible. And then and then other days. It was, it was raining cats and dogs. Uh, and then some days you're, you're backing your car into somebody's tree who you just, you know, knocked on their door and they royally rejected your sales pitch. And then you got to like go back up in the rain and knock on their door a second time and be like, I just killed your tree. I'm sorry. Uh, and, and so, so uh, some days people were just absolute jerks. Uh, at least one day, I got a gun pulled on me. That was a fun story. Uh, but but for for those for all those reasons and more, there were some of our team that had made the trek from Texas to to Asheville, Burnsville area, North Carolina, and, and, and they just for for all those reasons, they just they just quit. <laughs> Uh, they're like, you know what? Hey, actually, uh, we're gonna we're gonna just head on over. We're gonna uh, just head on over to the North Carolina coast. Uh, we're gonna be we're gonna be hanging out o- over here. Uh, we didn't sign up for this, so they 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 checked out when things got hard. Uh, I, like meanwhile, I'm over here working. Uh, me and my roommates are working 80 hours a week, and they're like, yeah, we're going to the beach. Um, we're gonna work on our our tan, not our farmer's tan, like you chumps. Uh, and, and we're, we're just going to be sipping our, our pina coladas over here. They checked out. They, they, they checked out when things got hard, um, and, and they church, they completely forgot about the mission. The mission for us, at least, uh, was, was to sell books uh, in the mountains of North Carolina. Um, but it's funny how when, when things get hard, a lot of us have this, this tendency to just sort of stop. When things get hard, we, we have this tendency to just sort of, sort of stop and sometimes to even run away, but definitely to, to get off mission. And, and, and I want to remind y'all of, of, we've been in Acts chapter 8 for about three or four weeks. I want to remind y'all of some context in Acts 8. A, a, couple, a couple of important things that, that take place that, that build up to this point. First, up to this point, we've seen thousands of people placing their faith in Jesus. 
we've seen like these mass movements of spiritual awakening that, that really flowed from Pentecost, and we've seen thousands of people coming to faith in Jesus, yet there, up to this point in Acts, there has not been any detailed description of one single conversion. And then you get to Acts 8 through 10, and, and, and it, it shifts as we see in Acts 8, we see this uh, Ethiopian, this African eunuch, trust Jesus. And then in Acts 9, we see Saul, who would become Paul, trust Jesus. Then you get to Acts 10, and the Roman centurion, trust Jesus. But I, I talked about this last week, but Acts 1.8 is unfolding, right? Jesus said in Acts 1.8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, to Judea, to Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. What's crazy is in those days, uh, Ethiopia by many was considered the edge of the world. And so under the, the sovereign guidance of, of, of God, Acts 1.8 is unfolding. And I love this part of Acts because it... Listen, it absolutely spotlights the, the, the sovereign hand of God, but also we get an upfront view of Philip's faithfulness and his focus. Philip. Philip, who had fled from Jerusalem at this onslaught of persecution. Philip, who, who had, listen, the, really was kind of a nomad at this point. Seemingly homeless Philip, who we're going to see, he, he goes from Jerusalem to Samaria to Gaza. He ends up over in Azadus and then ultimately lands and, and settles down in Caesarea. And yet, even, listen, even when things got hard, Philip was faithful. Amen? He never lost sight, church family, of, of the mission. And church, there, there's so much right now that we can learn from Philip. Christian, what, I, I would just say, what about you? In, in, the, in the midst of the crazy, the absolute craziness that is 2020, have you been faithful and focused have you been faithful and focused? Listen, I, I'm, not, I'm not discounting what you've walked through. I'm just going to say that Jesus walked through more. And it doesn't change the mission. So we'll look at three things this morning. And the first thing that, that, that we see is, and we're going we're gonna to kind of be, we're going to hop around the text a little bit, but as we look at Acts 26, uh, 8, 26 through We'll go through 30. We'll go through 31. We're going to see that Philip knew to rely on the engineer. Philip knew to rely on the engineer. I want you to look at your neighbor and say, rely on the engineer. Look at your other neighbor and say, rely on the engineer. Awesome. So in 26 it says, now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise, go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. So he rose and he went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, 
queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all the treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship. He was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. The Spirit said to Philip, go over and join the chariot. So Philip ran to him, and he heard him reading Isaiah the prophet. And he asked, do you understand what you're reading? Philip knew to rely on the engineer. Uh, for, for 30 plus years, my dad was a, a chemical engineer at, at Dow Chemical uh, in, in Freeport, Texas. And so uh, dad was a chemical engineer. He was a, a safety release valve specialist. Uh, and so the summer after I, I graduated from high school, uh, I, I, so the summer after I graduated, I went to work for a company called Brazos M&E, digging ditches and, and doing manual labor when I at 18 years old. Uh, and so we would dig these ditches out under the pipeline so that, so that crews could come in and put in rebar and pour concrete to, to reinforce the pipeline. Uh, you, know, you know what I never worried about as I was going and doing that work and digging uh, at these massive holes? I never worried about the pipeline over my head exploding. <laughs> I never worried about that. that. Odds are my, there, there's, there's a good chance that my... My dad at that point had designed many of the safety release valves that were on the pipes overhead to relieve the pressure to keep things safe. And, and so check this out. I want you to, I want you to get this picture. Uh, I'm, I'm out there doing work at 18 years old, but I don't even fully realize the engineer who's gone before me. The engineer who's gone before me, in his, he's done the, the work, he's laid the groundwork to protect me and ultimately to pave the way for the work that I needed to do. Church family, hear me. Philip knew to rely on the engineer. Amen? He knew to rely. So, so we get to verse 26 and it says now, and right off the bat, now an angel of the Lord said. So Already, God sovereignly is leading and guiding. And, but, but verse 26 sort of comes out of nowhere and interrupts the Samaritan revival party that's happening in Acts 8. So church family, catch what, 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 is, what is going on here. Philip had been, put yourself in Philip's shoes. Philip had been the initial human instrument of, of the gospel mission to the Samaritans. So, so surely, surely God, have, God would have let him stay and, and help disciple the many new converts. Surely God would have had Philip stay on the ground and be a part of, of like this, this church planting movement to help all these people grow in their faith, to reap the spiritual benefit of what God was doing. And yet here we see God calling Philip away from the spiritual mountaintop to the desert road that led from Jerusalem down to Gaza. Kent Hughes says this, instead of the vast multitudes of Samaria, the transforming touch of God now comes through Philip to one man in a desert place far from the teeming city. Hughes says God valued the individual as much as the multitudes. And the question was this, ready? Would, would Philip trust that God knew what he was doing and shifting his life and shifting his ministry. And it actually, like, this is a question that I, I wrestled with for a few days this week. 
Here's a question for you. Would you leave the revival to go to the desert for the one? Would you leave the revival to go to the desert for the one? The one, in, uh, in Philip's case, that would reach, begin to reach Africa for the gospel, but Philip didn't, he didn't know that. And at the end of verse 26, it says, this is a desert place. This is a desert place, this road that goes down to Gaza. Now, R.C. Sproul said this. He said, the city of Gaza was one of five important Philistine cities, but it had been destroyed years earlier. And as a result, uh, Sproul says that what, the road that went originally from Jerusalem to Gaza, by that point, was in complete disuse. Because a new road had been built in its place uh, some some. Uh, quite a ways away, and so catch this, church family, nobody, nobody went down that road to Gaza anymore, but lo and behold, (laughs) you get to verse 27, and it says there was an Ethiopian there was there was a eunuch. Now this this may this may rock your world. I I I uh I struggle like do I keep calling him the Ethiopian eunuch? Do I call him the African eunuch? What what they called Ethiopia back in those times, was an area that actually uh, lay south of Egypt in, the, in a place that was called Ancient Kush, and it's in our modern-day Sudan. So don't get, like, all snarky and correct your friend from here on out that says the Ethiopian eunuch. It's actually the Sudanese eunuch, um, and, and, like, with, like, try to sound all spiritual. Um, but it, it really was our modern-day Sudan. And, and so this, this Ethiopian eunuch rolls up on the scene, and, and now a, a, a eunuch, I, I think we know what, what eunuchs are. They, listen, uh, in antiquity, this is someone who had been emasculated surgically. We got kids in the joints, so we'll keep it PG. They were castrated. So if you were, if you were a king, uh, if you were a king, uh, you were one of the only people that a king would entrust to stand guard over the harem of their women uh, because I'll let y'all figure that one out, okay? So, so many eunuchs had the opportunity, uh, even as servants, to be elevated to these positions of, of really stewardship over households. And there were eunuchs who were stewards over government affairs. And even uh, in this case, uh, he was managing the money of the kingdom for Queen Candace, which is what the Ethiopian, they, 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 all of their queens were Queen Candace. And so uh, the, the Ethiopian kings were viewed as descendants of the gods. So the, the, the paltry you know, government affairs were below what they needed to do. Uh, because they, they were seen as these gods. So the affairs of managing the kingdom were entrusted to the queen. And so the text tells us that this, this Ethiopian eunuch, he, he comes to Jerusalem to worship. He comes to Jerusalem to worship. Now, now the, though some would argue that he, he could have been a Jew who was a part of the dispersion who ended up in Ethiopia. That's not, it's not really what the text says. The text simply points to him as a 
Gentile God fear. So this dude rolls down to Jerusalem. He's seeking after God. But what's interesting is if he had just been a Gentile, he would have been relegated to the court of Gentiles. But because of his physical deformity as a eunuch, uh, according to Deuteronomy 23.11, he wouldn't have even been allowed. He would have been excluded altogether from temple worship. And so he rolls out of Jerusalem, and, and, and I don't know what that scene looked like. I don't know if there was disappointment. Some, some commentators say, man, maybe there was disappointment because he wasn't able to worship at the temple. Seemingly far from God, right? But verse, verse 28 says, as, before we get to verse 28, it says, it's, uh, he's reading aloud, he's reading aloud, from the Old Testament. And verse 28 tells us that he was seated in his chariot. So I, I'm, I'm pretty sure that the lower class weren't, weren't rocking chariots, right? So again, again, this guy's traveling. He's, there's, being in a chariot signified wealth. He was the man over the money. And, and, and he's reading from the prophet Isaiah. And we're going to look at this in a moment. Specifically, he's reading from Isaiah 53. But church, check this out. What are the statistical odds <laughs> that an African is leaving Jerusalem, pouring over Isaiah 53, a, a messianic passage about Jesus? And what are the odds at that exact moment in time that, that this African man who in his chariot is reading Isaiah 53, at that exact time, he crosses paths with Philip? The odds are zero. On that desert road, the odds are zero. But when God is the engineer, all things are possible. And when you rely, listen, when you rely on the engineer, the impossible becomes reality as you step into these divine appointments that have been prepared by God. Amen? Let me, let me drop some application at this, at this stage. Listen. 2020 has, has been a hard year for a lot of people, for a lot of people. Just this past Tuesday, I, I watched as, as one of my good friends from years back in youth ministry was buried. And I, I'm, reading, I'm reading through Job right now. I just started. And one thing is evident, like you don't get to the end of Job you don't get to the end of Job and tie this nice little like neat bow on it and be like, gosh, that was a really neat fairy tale ending. Like how many of y'all got more questions than answers at the end of Job, right? So, so in fact, I would say there's a lot of things that Job didn't understand until he stepped into eternity. Two things. It, two things. If, if life has thrown you some, some nasty curveballs, heartache, trauma, trials. Just remember, listen, those, those things do not define who you are. They are a part of your story, but Jesus is the bigger story. Amen? Some of you need to hear this. You, you can rely on the engineer. You can, you can rely on the engineer. Second thing, Christian, 
Christian, maybe in the midst of COVID, maybe in the midst of political drama, in the midst of racial tensions, in the midst of of personal trial, you have forgotten that your main job is to make disciples of Jesus Christ. Connect the dots. Embrace God's sovereignty over the mess of 2020. And then maybe you can get back to uh, embracing his sovereignty over the mission of your life, which is to make Jesus known. And if we would open, listen, if you would open your spiritual eyes, God, listen, God is going before you. Amen. God is going before. He's laying the groundwork. Uh, He is softening hearts for spiritual conversations. Church, all around, listen, people are hurting. People people are are hopeless. They are looking for for answers to to, uh, questions that they, they don't have the answers for. And if you would rely, listen. If you would rely on the engineer, you might actually step into some divine appointments and see God move in power in people's lives. But listen, you've got to stay sensitive to the voice and the leading of God. Second thing this morning, and it's really, we, we see this in, in, in the same set of verses, 26 through 30, but also in 35 when Philip opens his mouth, Philip had the resolve to be faithful. Philip had the resolve to be faithful. I want you to look at your neighbor and say, resolve to be faithful. faithful. Now look at your other neighbor and say, resolve to be faithful too. Okay. Kent Hughes says this, the transcending element of Philip's divine touch was his obedience to the Lord. If you look at verse 27, verse 27 says he arose and he went. Verse 30, I love this, says, so Philip ran. And then in verse 35, it says that he, so he told him the good news. Let, like, let's look at verse 27. Let's look at the first step of obedience that he took. It says he arose and he went. Church, remember, he, he wasn't leaving the handbell ministry of limping along Lutheran, right? He wasn't leaving barely breathing Baptist. Like, he was leaving a revival. <laughs> Love my Lutheran and Baptist brethren and sisters, okay? He was leaving a revival. He was leaving the mountaintop, and yet Philip's resolve was to be faithful. I love this quote. Derek Thomas says this, the purposes of God that often often seem strange to us, particularly when we are in possession of only a fragment of the total picture. Let me say that again. Derek Thomas says this, the purposes of God often seem strange to us, particularly when we are in possession of only a fragment of the total picture. It must, it must have required a great deal of faith on, on Philip's part to comply, Thomas says. Sometimes God may lead along a path that to us seems pointless, but that is, that is because we can only see the small picture and not the bigger one. I, I love, I love that verse 30 says that Philip ran. Like, 
I don't know if, if he ran because he was like just eager to, uh, to go and share or whether like it was just like legit he needed to run to catch up to the chariot. Uh, you know, I don't like over spiritual, but I love, I love that this dude ran. The spirit was beckoning him to go. And, and not only did he not hesitate, man, he hustled. Christian, how many times are you more focused on hushing the voice of God in your life rather than hustling to obey? How many times are we more focused on hushing the prompting of the spirit than hustling to obey the prompting and the voice of the spirit of God? In every area of his life, one commentator put it like this, Philip was a man who lived in close fellowship with God and in willing and joyful obedience to God's demands. Everything about Philip speaks of a life that was lived in the presence of God. In, in the Latin, it's this Latin phrase, this, this concept of quorum Deo, before the face of of God. All of life is lived before the face of God. He sees us, he knows us, he knows our thoughts, he knows our hearts. And if you are living your life before the face of God and daily responding to his presence, then you're going to be daily, listen, you're going to be daily resolved to be faithful. But if, church, if you think about it, Philip, listen, God, God had been preparing him for this for a long time. Hey, if you all the way back in Acts 6, we've looked at this. We encounter Philip. Philip, the, the, the spirit-filled deacon who was willing to serve these overlooked widows. Then we see him leading the charge in evangelism to the Samaritans, crossing over cultural and ethnic and historical barriers. It makes perfect sense that Philip was the perfect guy for the job. Makes sense. But it kind of brings up a question for us. If you haven't been faithful in the little, why would God entrust you with more? If you haven't been faithful in a little while, why would God entrust you with more? See, Philip had already been faithful as a deacon. He had already been faithful in the, the, the ministry to the Samaritans. God's like, hey, let's go reach Africa for my glory. I'm going to drop some application here. 1 John 5.3 says this. It tells us, for this is the love of God that we keep his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments. Talk is cheap. Talk is cheap. Your, your love for God is revealed through your obedience to what His Word commands. So when you walk with Jesus, you've already, check this out, you've already established your yes before God asks. Amen? Like you, you've already established your yes before God even asked. Listen, in, in, the, in the Brooks household, it, it's, it's uh, uh, Mama Brooks is, is amazing, and, and, uh, but, but at times it's a little bit of control chaos, probably due to dad. Um, but there are definitely rhythms 
that, that, that our kids, our boys especially, understand. There, there are tasks that, that even Luke and, and Levi and Titus and now Ben, they, they, they understand. They know these tasks need to get done. And often when I'm asking them something before we can even finish, like they're like, okay, I know, I know, I got it. True? Now, the attitudes may not always be stellar. But they understand that, listen, it, it, when dad asks, it's not, it's not really a question. <laughs> it's, a, it's a command. Sometimes I have to remind them that the, the Brooks household is not a democracy, but a cruel, tyrannical dictatorship. <laughs> I'm kidding. Maybe. Maybe. But church, even though it may sometimes be begrudgingly, my kids know that when dad asks, the, the answer should already be yes. So when the Spirit said go, in verse 29, Philip ran because the answer was yes before God asked. Philip ran because the answer was already yes before God asked. He had already resolved to be faithful. And so the question is, who, who is, listen, what is God calling you to? Christian, what is God calling you to right now? Who is God calling you to? Who is God calling you to share Jesus with? Be resolved to be faithful. Third thing is this. Philip knew he could rest on the gospel. Philip knew that he could rest on the gospel. I want you to look at your neighbor and say, rest on the gospel. Look at your other neighbor and say, rest on the gospel. So, so as we close out the passage, verse 31 says, he said, how can I unless someone guides me? He invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of scripture that he was reading was this. This is straight from Isaiah 53, 7 and 8. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. Like a lamb before its shear is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. And who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. The eunuch said to Philip, About whom I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself or someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, beginning with this scripture. He told him the good news about Jesus. Church fam, when, when the engineer, listen, when the engineer has already gone before you, you realize a couple of things. One, it's not all on you. Amen? Like, is that, is that like, that's a relief, right? It's not, all, it's not all on you. And secondly, you can rest on the gospel and let the gospel do the heavy lifting. Because again, picture this. Not only does Phil roll up on somebody on a, a an abandoned desert road, not only is that somebody reading a messianic prophecy about Jesus, check out their interaction. Verse 30. Do, hey, do you, he's reading. Do you understand what you're reading? Uh, how, verse 31. How can I unless someone guides me? Uh, the Listen. He's reading Isaiah 53. If you read the whole chapter, the entirety of this prophecy of Isaiah was all about Jesus. 
Parts of Isaiah 53 are explicitly about the sacrificial death of Jesus, the atonement of of sin through his shed blood. Tony Morita puts it like this, 750 years before the crucifixion, Isaiah had described the suffering and the exaltation of Jesus. Now, Jews in antiquity, they didn't grasp this. They thought that the prophet was talking about himself or maybe another prophet. They, they thought maybe this is an allegory for the nation of Israel as a whole. What they never saw coming was that their Messiah and their rescuer wouldn't come in pomp and circumstance. He wouldn't come, listen, in, in political power. Rather, the Messiah would come as a servant to save. And they didn't connect the dots for Israelites. They didn't connect the dots that the suffering servant of Isaiah 53 and the Davidic Messiah were the same person. And then we see like this slow pitch softball question from from the African. when He's like, yo, who is this talking about? That's a JSV, right? It's the Jonathan Standard. So, hey, who who is this talking about? How many of y'all would love to like roll up on that scene? Right? You, you get into a classroom, like you, you like step onto a plane, like uh, maybe it's COVID, don't get on a plane right now. So, so like you just walk up, somebody's reading the Bible and it's a passage about Jesus and they're like, excuse me, who, like, what, who is this talking about? Like, <laughs> boom, like we'd love that. And so verse 35 just says this, and it's significant. With this scripture, that's key. With this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. Everybody say gospel. Listen, the gospel does the heavy lifting for us. Amen. That day, Philip, Philip was steadfast, but it was the gospel that saved. Romans 1.16, Paul says, for I am not ashamed I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God to save everyone who believes. The Jew first to the Greek. Church, do you believe that the gospel is still the power of God to save? Not Listen, not our, not our sleek methods, not our, not our eloquence or, or our excellence, not our hype shows and our trendy presentations. Listen, we rest on the gospel. We rest on the gospel. And the best part, listen, Philip may have left the Samaritan revival to share the gospel with one African, but make no mistake, This brother was not traveling alone. He would have been with a caravan accompanied by many Africans. And they too would have heard and they they would have seen the testimony of the now rejoicing eunuch. And later, church father Irenaeus says that this man would become a missionary among his own people, dedicating his life to proclaiming Christ in Africa. And it makes me think about this, and it's good perspective. Two years ago, when Matt Ulrich and I went to Africa, we went to Uganda, we, get, we went to Kenya to do gospel ministry, and we're proclaiming Christ, and we're, we're training up pastors in, the, in, in, to, in, in helping their local churches. Good perspective is this long before the gospel hit the shores of America it was transforming the continent of Africa for the glory of God amen 
I'll close, I'll close with this. I'll close with this. Each year around December, early December, I, I, I start praying and thinking through, hey, what, what, is, what is the unique vision for restoration for the upcoming year? Right? So within the next month, I will, we'll be praying every December. We, I, I, we get together with the elders and we talk and, and I, we, I've prayed through it and we say, hey, let, th- I think this is what maybe God's raising up for vision for 2021. Last year, 2020, our vision for restoration was focused and faithful. Little did we know what the year had in store. In fact, as we met for our RCB members meeting, January 12, 2020, I I shared with our members the story of Josiah from 2 Kings 22 about Josiah's focus and his faithfulness and how God used that and he he ushered, he he was focused, he was faithful to the word of God and God used that to usher in revival for Israel. And that Sunday morning, my my sermon had been entitled, A Christ-Centered People. Shocker. And I said this to our members that day. I said, outside the gospel of Christ crucified and raised, everything else is secondary. Everything else is secondary. And I implored our members to to be focused on allowing the gospel to transform us. And, And I implored our members, listen, to be faithful, to make Jesus known, to help others grow in their faith and walk with Jesus. In January 12th, 2020, like at this point, like that's like 14 years ago, right? That seems like a, a lifetime ago. And since then, many have known great crisis. And they have known loss. And they have known heartache. And they have known financial struggle. And they have known brokenness. And we're daily bombarded with all this division and this anger and this vitriol. Church, ask this before. Are we distracted? Are we distracted right now? And I can't think of a better way to finish our time together today than to be humbled by the suffering servant. Get a little more context from that Isaiah 53 passage. See, Isaiah said this about Jesus. He had no form or majesty that we should look at Him. No beauty that we should desire Him. He was despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. You think you know grief? Look to Jesus. Now Isaiah goes on, he says, As one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. Isaiah 53, 6, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone, everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Christian, I, I, I don't know what you're focused on right now. I don't know what cause you've taken up. 
odds are, listen, your, your energy, your, your thinking, your, your speech and your social media consumption, probably your media consumption, give, give the answer, give you the answer. Listen, if you are in Christ, outside the gospel, everything else is secondary. Amen? Be focused and faithful. Don't, don't lose sight of the mission. Don't, listen, don't lose sight of Isaiah 53. Don't lose sight of the Savior who suffered in your place. Don't lose sight of, of the one who bled on that cross for your sin. And don't lose sight of the Savior who is still the solution to the sin problem of the entire world. Y'all pray with me this morning.